Welcome to today's episode of The Dream in Code Podcast with discussions on software and web development, technology, and IT trends. Here is your host, Dan Delamarski. This is Dream Code Podcast, episode 10, and today we're kind of bringing you a new format here. Because like usually you guys know that uh, I do interviews and actually it's going to be interviews like later on, but I thought that maybe like one in 10 episodes would be good to just make it a general topic discussion. Like we have a bunch of questions. There are a bunch of happenings that during this week that are quite interesting to discuss. And I'm actually co-hosting this podcast. Every new episode of the Dreaming Code Open Hour, that's what we're going to call it, is going to be co-hosted with uh, Andre Burdett. So if you guys remember the first episode, Max and A, that's terrible, terrible yeah. recording episode. <laughs> well, yeah, it was the first episode, but uh, it, it was pretty cool. So um, Andre is has some experience with podcasting, and we decided that it's it's gonna be pretty cool to talk about technology with him, and he's pretty enthusiastic about it. <laughs> yeah, well, technology in general is you know it's it's why we get into this sort of stuff. Exactly. Yeah, and like why not talk about it? So. Uh, there are actually a bunch of topics we want to talk about because, like, the, this week and this, like, upcoming months, month, have, like, a whole set of ongoing events. Yeah, and, most of which are from Microsoft. Yeah, well, ex- yeah, but, you know, they're innovating. They bring very much, like, a lot of new products to the market now. Yeah. So, uh, uh, last week there was PDC 2010, which was held at Microsoft campus and. uh me and Andre actually met there. Yeah, in uh, Redmond. Yeah, exactly. It's like, this is a small world when you go to like the west part of the country and you meet someone you met on Dreaming Code first. Yeah, I mean, it, it was like, <laughs> you kind of think it would be awkward, but the fact that we've talked before over the internet, it wasn't actually that awkward. It, it wasn't. It wasn't at all. I mean, I was... It was like really... I mean, it, it is a nice thing like to meet someone like, hey, I know this dude from online, and now I... Yeah. I saw that awesome ride. Yeah, it was a yeah. Yeah, it was pretty. (laughs) And we got to eat it. We we had some food at that uh, uh, Danny's. Danny's. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Quote of the day. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, getting back to PDC, pretty much they were focused on Windows Phone and actually gave out Windows Phone for free for the guys that attended it. Yeah, you bastards. (laughs) I was like, it's actually a nice device, I must say. I like it. I, I really like it. So yeah, I got it. I got to attend it as a uh, Microsoft Student Insider. So the main focus of the PDC was Windows Phone 7 and uh, Windows Azure. The main kind of. I think Microsoft kind of tries to focus on these things right now. One of the topics that kind of struck a lot of people was that they thought Microsoft is killing Silverlight. <laughs> yeah, that's like they just like you know they just got momentum and all of a sudden. Like, yeah, you know, things spread on the internet. <laughs> yeah, and uh, because like at PDC they showed some presentation of how like Internet Explorer 9 gets uh, HTML5 support. Yeah, and how they're putting a lot of focus in yeah, HTML5. Like HTML5 and everything. So people were like, oh my god, Silverlight is done. Yeah. So did they did they not he, did they not notice that Silverlight's a big thing on the Windows Phone? <laughs> yeah, and it's like, well, they will probably leave it like for Windows Phone 7, but it's like probably not. And uh, actually, this is an interesting discussion because I talked to Jeremy Lickness a while ago, and he got an interview for me on DZone. But one of the topics was like, what is the future of Silverlight when HTML5 is coming to into the game? So the thing is, 
like HTML5 doesn't really work alone. Like you cannot just use HTML5 to make like all those interactive web yeah, pages. It's not magic. Yeah. So it still requires kind of like an engine behind it. Hypertext magic. Yeah. And in this case, it's JavaScript. I don't think that HTML5 can be kind of like a replacement for like Silverlight. I would even say Flash because it's not it's not there yet. Uh-huh. JavaScript is like way... I, I don't know. I think that um, applications, like rich internet applications, probably Silverlight has better tool set for it. Yeah, I haven't done much uh, work with Silverlight myself, but you know, I can I see how it's useful still, and it's still going to be useful like, even after HTML5 has taken the browsers. All the like IE9 Internet Explorer 9 has come mm-hmm. out doing some HTML5 support now. It's, it looks like Microsoft's actually starting to f- look at HTML stuff and actually, you know, it's like okay, we this is a big thing, and we want to be like everyone else. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I mean, HTML5 is a big thing. I don't think though it's like that big as as it as actually getting on the internet because I think some people don't realize that actually what I said just now that it requires like an engine behind it. Yeah, because the browser basically interprets the HTML, and yeah. uh, if it's doing HTML5, that means the browser does the work of uh, of uh, displaying the like a video. It does the work of displaying the video, whereas usually you would use like Flash or Silverlight or something. Yeah, and it's like that's what I like read a lot of articles about that people saying like oh html5 is coming is going to solve all our problems all of a sudden <laughs> so no it's there's, not there'll be a whole bunch of new problems that are going to arise yeah it's like <laughs> there's always problems yeah and people when they start using it they'll say well hey, hey, hey this is not what we thought you know <laughs> it's like so maybe we should probably better use silverlight or flash or something like that because <laughs> like it's too complicated in javascript uh, i think it will get there i mean the whole like data interactions and like Silverlight, if you know, like data binding and everything, even the UI design, I would say that JavaScript is not even close to what Silverlight can do as a engine for the content presented on the internet. Yeah, for the most part, the uh, people that you're like viewers for your page that you're creating aren't even going to notice much of a difference other than, you know, I mean, they're not going to care in the end, what's being done. Some people do. Some people, like, have Java turned off and stuff like that, or JavaScript. Well, and I mean, uh, most of them are going to be people, like, those that are, like, on mobile devices and complaining, like, hey, it doesn't load on my put phone name yeah. here, you know? Yeah, because the, it requires a Silverlight plugin, and it, the Silverlight plugin is not for the phone. Yeah. In the end, it comes down to the standards to where it works on all devices the way that the developer intends it to. I mean, the the end audience, they don't care how it's displayed. They just want the information to be displayed. It's more of a, from the developer point of view, it's like, okay, this is making things easier on me. And it's making it to where I don't have to sit there and like make sure, like do some code tweaking on, on for it to work on Internet Explorer and for it to work here. Trying to get it to where it just works across the board and it's just less work. Besides, I mean, HTML5, like what people say, I'm I'm just thinking, what is the mobile market going to do when people will start developing applications in HTML, like using HTML5 stuff, you know? Like this whole point of marketplaces, be it Windows Phone 7 marketplace, be it uh, Apple App Store, Android Market, they restrict users to a specific kind of like ecosystem that every application that you want to use on the phone should go through the approval process. And when you push interactive content through a browser, it doesn't go through any approval process. 
Yeah. And, and when HTML5 will start picking up momentum, even like with ja- powered by JavaScript behind it, I'm just thinking like, what what kind of restrictions are they going to put in the mobile browsers to restrict the user from using some sort of applications? Yeah, it's the same way how uh, iPhones don't have Flash because yeah. it would create applications that don't have to go through the approval process. Uh, and the approval process is there to make sure that the apps are proper. They're not doing anything that they shouldn't be doing and that they're following the, the restrictions properly and all that. Yeah, and there was a question recently on Ruin Code where someone asked, like, hey, well, Windows Phone 7 is coming out, and the base development platform for it is Silverlight. Well, there was XNA, of course, for games and everything, but yeah. it's like applications are based on Silverlight. So why the browser itself, the Internet Explorer that's bundled with it, doesn't come with a Silverlight plugin? And this is a pretty that obvious answer. That does seem weird. Yeah, well, this is a pretty obvious answer because, like, if you have a Silverlight plugin running in a browser, that means, like, if I build a website that has a Silverlight application on it, then if I open it on the phone and actually goes to the Silverlight app, it runs it. And that way, I have no idea what that app does. Yeah. You don't know. It, it's, it hasn't been approved by Microsoft. Yeah, exactly. It, it didn't pass, like, the basic quality control. Yeah. And if it, anything, um, I mean... I mean, restricting it is probably the best thing, but like uh, for some people, they still want it. I mean, maybe if they had something that pops up that says, "Hey, this app has not been approved by Microsoft. Are you sure you want to run it like through the browser situation?" Well, I mean, you know, most of the users probably won't care and just press OK. Yeah, they're like, "I just want to use the app." Yeah, and then we'll just like, "Oh my God, it just crashed my whole system." Yeah. I don't know what it, why it did it? And then there's gonna be like the blame game, like who's, who's yeah. that? They'll blame Microsoft because their phone's not working, and then yeah. Microsoft's like, hey, yeah. yeah, and that's exactly why they put this kind of restrictions. Like, hey guys, you know, well, if you want apps running on it, just use the App Store or use that's, the marketplace. It's and, not like a desktop, you know, where you know, yeah, it's designed in that sort of sense to uh, be able to run anything. They, there's no, there's no approval process for a desktop. Well, speaking of desktop, like I'm. The whole approval process, we talked about this earlier, about like the whole marketplace concept for desktop apps. I mean, how awesome would that be? It would be uh, kind of nice to be able to list like, you know, hey, I want like what you mentioned, like Adobe Photoshop. And you just, you know, you could download it. And the thing I li- I would like about that sort of a situation is that sort of like how MSDN keeps your keys and everything like that to where like if I buy Photoshop and I reinstall my system and I'm like oh crap my CD's broke or something like that it'd be nice to be able to re-download it and have my key right there online that's uh, what this uh, the Steam does the yeah. delivering games yeah that, that'd be nice to do that with apps like software and everything like Photoshop and uh, even operating systems like Windows you bought Windows it's like well here it is you can always re-download it uh, we will store your keys for you that way you don't lose your keys I mean that sort of stuff it seems like it would be you know well that's kind great. of that's kind of the thing about MSDN uh, for Windows. I mean, for Windows stuff. So for some of it. Yeah. Well, like, even like it'd be it'd be good in the sense of uh, if they did the trial things. Like you could download Windows for and use it for 30 days, but then at the end you could you're gonna have to pay for a key in order to keep using it. I mean that that with operating systems it's kind of weird because then you don't have your computer. You don't have access to your computer anymore. Yeah maybe limited to be able to get on the internet and purchase this stuff, but with software in general, like Photoshop and that sort of stuff, it'd be nice to, you know, hey, I could try this out for 30 days, and uh, then I could buy a key. And actually, like, Intel, the the guys that make the processors, they have this thing called Intel App Op that is basically a store for netbooks. 
And I, I don't know, like it says like for Windows XP and 7, but I mean... With they, netbooks, it's generally starter edition. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's like, see, it's Intel. I mean, people don't really, you know, it yeah. is one thing when it's, when you have the App Store shit with Windows, for example, right? Like right off the box, yeah. it's like Microsoft App Marketplace. And it's a completely different thing when it's like, you have to go and download some like Intel app up and install it and just think like, hey, well, I mean, do I really need this, you know? Yeah. Because most of the like popular apps probably are not there. It's yeah. I, I'm trying to look at the applications now on their website, and there's like you can actually buy them. And I open what is this? Okay, this is the category called finance. And there's like personal manager, safe banking that's free. Are, are these like the applications, like the full applications? This isn't like a when you buy a DVD burner, it comes with like a, some uh, software for burning DVDs, that sort not, of stuff. I'm not entirely sure. Let me send you the link for it and just take a look at it. But, I mean, it's like the whole concept of, like, what do you see on the phone? Like, be it iPhone. I mean, the people with the iPhone probably are most familiar with it. Because yeah. this is this kind of thing. It has it's like, probably for uh, for netbooks that are based on Intel. I don't know if it would be, like, if you get, like, a an AMD process. Well, Maybe I, it's because it's Intel app up. I mean, you'd think that it's... Yeah, I would think so. But, I mean, there's this download Intel app up. So, probably I can put it on even, like, on whatever I'm using now. But I, I see the apps, and I see, like, see, what I'm talking about is apps, like, really big, popular apps, like, be it, uh, Adobe Photoshop, be it, Yeah, these are small-time apps. I mean, they're only, like, four bucks for some of these. Oh, wait, here's one for 15. Yeah, and there's, like, one for 149, but... And you see, like, even, like, I would like to download, for example, I would like to buy an antivirus, you know? Yeah. And there's, like, nothing, nothing like that here. Like, no big apps, like... McAfee or Norton, there's nothing there. Yeah, we should uh, you should put it like a this URL in like the show notes so people can yeah, check uh, this out. Yeah, and just uh, on a side note, like all the URLs we're talking about, websites are going to the show notes, so it's not gonna be a problem finding it and following it, following up with uh, what we say. Apple came up with this idea, and actually, I think the next uh, release of macOS is gonna be with a um, app store for Mac, a- actually for apps. Uh, for like Mac apps, like yeah, TextMate and all them. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what kind of apps and if we're gonna see their like really big apps like we're talking about. But they get they came with an idea and they're actually putting it in the next version. It's it's I yeah, it's a great idea to create an app store like that. And uh, Apple's got their experience in the whole store. I mean, they've had yeah. their store going for a long time. They could probably easily yeah easily. It's just gonna they're gonna create more work for themselves, uh, proving iPhone and desktop applications, but. A lot of times, if you're a big company, you know, it's probably directly, you know, talking with someone, whereas a lot of the uh, the more small-time developers or just one person trying to get their game out, it's going to, it'll give them a chance to get their stuff listed there for the desktop, and I think that's a, I think it's a pretty good idea to, like, create these app stores. Um, I'm not, see, I'm not entirely sure what kind of apps are they going to put in the uh, app store for Macs, and what kind of requirements are they going to put in? Is it going to be, like, the same, like, user-made apps? Like what the iPhone is, or is it gonna be like the big apps? Yeah, well, yeah, I'd hope to see bigger apps on yeah. it. They're creating an app store for the desktop itself. I'd hope to see stuff like uh, I would keep using Photoshop because it's the the most popular one that everybody could think of. But I mean, it's really expensive for that stuff. But if somebody needs it, it'd be nice to just be able to like, oh, I'll just hop over to the app store and uh, download it. 
Well, I mean, I don't think expensive is a factor for the App Store. Remember that app for the iPhone that was like $999? Yeah, well, did anybody buy it? <laughs> I think so, because like, I believe someone believed it was like a joke or something and just clicked on buy, and I actually charged them like 900 bucks. Uh, they had to have been able to complain and get, yeah. get that charge actually, removed. They actually like uh, got it off the App Store. It's not there. Well, you developed for the iPhone. Do you know if they have a limit for like the maximum price for the app? Uh, well, I didn't do much about the pricing because the one I put up was free, and uh, they they uh, I don't think they really I think they they the highest one I saw was like twenty four or something because they had like a little drop down thing, uh, but this was like pff, man it was like a couple years ago could have changed by then. <laughs> yeah, and I remember the guys from uh, you know the service called Wolfram Alpha. Oh yeah, the search. The yeah, kind of like they can help you like solve like math problems. Oh, I, I use it all the time for math for complicated yeah. math. Yeah, exactly. And it's like they put an app in the app store like for fifty dollars, and nobody bought it because like you can always go to wallfromalpha.com from the browser. And do this. Yeah, why would you sell fifty yeah. bucks on for an iPhone app? I believe they actually dropped the price for it. Let me people know. are people are hesitant to spend a dollar on an iPhone app, let alone fifty bucks. Yeah, well, I mean that's what that's that's one of an interesting topic here because that's what I heard someone saying that oh, people can spend like. Uh, 10 bucks on some random thing that they don't really need but they hesitate to put the same money in a game for example for the for a mobile phone that was developed for like a couple of months you know yeah it was uh there's an uh, online comic the oatmeal that actually had a comic of uh of the same thing it was uh, making fun of the fact that people spent like all this money on the phone upgrading the phone to the newer one because it just came out getting the ipad and then they go to the app store and they're like, ah, I don't know, dollar ninety nine. Yeah, it's like, oh, it's like, oh, a new like a new f- phone, three thousand point four is coming out. You know, it's like, oh, I'm yeah. gonna spend six hundred dollars on it. Like, I don't oh. care how much it is. I have to have it. Yeah, it's an Apple like, product. Six hundred dollars, no problem. Bought it. Yeah. And then yeah. there's like an app for four dollars and like, uh, you know, <laughs> it's kind of don't want to spend a lot of money on it. Yeah, it's two bucks. Ah. Yeah, like I have to think about it. Let me sleep on this for a few nights. And <laughs> and talking about marketplaces, uh, the Windows Phone 7 marketplace is finally open for app submissions. The actual phone is coming out on November 8th, so we have, what, three days? I was looking up the the three phones that they have that are running Windows Phone 7. I feel so good. The Windows Phone 7 I got at PDC, and it's an unlocked device. It doesn't have all that AT&T stuff on it, you know? Yeah. When you buy an AT&T phone, they put all this kind of software you don't really need on it. Like The whole, like, AT&T, whatever, U-verse, radio, music, that's, like... Yeah. I need AT&T radio if my phone has a built-in radio and I can put Pandora on it. Yeah, unfortunately, when it comes to phones, like the a lot of times you buy laptops, you know, if you're like like me, you like format everything and get it installed, you know, with the limited stuff to where you just get rid of all the crap. Mm-hmm. Whereas with a phone, you get a phone, you can't really just, you know, reinstall the operating system on yeah. it and get rid of all that stuff. And, and actually those apps cannot be uninstalled because like the previous phone I had is an Android device, is the Motorola Backflip. 
and it had those apps installed, and you, you cannot take them off. You can't? Yeah. And I, I opened the marketplace here for because I put my SIM card, the AT&T SIM card, in the phone. I opened the uh, Windows Phone marketplace, and I see there's like a uh, separate section for AT&T apps, and I'm like, no, thank you. Well, they got it. You know, they got that contract probably. <laughs> yeah, but I'm just like, no, 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 no. I'm not installing it. The only thing to be useful with AT&T as far as apps go is one to uh, manage your account. Pay your bills over the phone or something. I'm just going to use the browser for it. Yeah. Incidentally, did you, I mean, it's on the topic of phones, but did you see the, uh, the Chase, the bank, uh, has that uh, app for the phone that allows you to deposit checks just by taking pictures of them? No, not yet. Really? Yeah. I, uh, I have I no link that. for it because I wasn't planning to mention it. But, uh, yeah, they, uh, they, there was this commercial I was listening to. I was, I was looking it up the other day. They, apparently, you just take a picture of the front and the back of your check, and you do the little thing, and it deposits, deposits it into your account. Well, there are some privacy questions connected to that. Yeah. Like the whole image being intercepted or anything. And besides, like, I mean, there's a lot of security involved. Yeah, it. don't be taking pictures of your checks when you're on a random uh, wireless connection somewhere. <laughs> yeah, because did you see this announcement about a tool for Firefox, a plugin? Like when you log in on sites like Facebook, you can, this website like stores a cookie on your machine. And whenever you access the website, it like sends the information from that stored block. When you connect to an open Wi-Fi connection, that information block is sent unencrypted. And people, well, someone created a plugin for Firefox that gets this, like intercepts those packets and it actually can log in as you, like if he gets like, it shows like who is currently on the network who's using like Twitter or Facebook and shows like the picture and the name and everything. And you can actually log in as that person on your computer without actually knowing the password or anything like that just by intercepting the packet. Yeah, that seems... Yeah, so when you talk about checks, I'm like, uh Yeah, I mean, well, it's getting to that point where this stuff is, you know, people are, like, saying, well, I mean, we could take pictures now of, like, the QR codes and, like, that sort of stuff, and, like, it's able to... I mean, the, one of the... one of the Some of the impressive apps I've seen is the one where you take a picture of a book, mm -hmm. uh, the cover of a book, and it will tell you what book it is and give you Amazon information and stuff just by the picture. So it's getting to that point where we have the technology. Now we're just trying to build up the way to handle it securely and everything. Mm -hmm. And phones are not known for their uh, for their security wise because they're working over uh, the whole Wi-Fi, the 3G and stuff like that. So it's uh it's kind of effy when you go towards uh, that stuff. And people are always reluctant to uh, to throw their information out there like that because they with a phone. As far as a phone goes, you're just kind of like throwing your information out into the air. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you never know who intercepts it. Yeah. Because, like, especially if you're in an open, like, most of the people that like, use phones, like, the Wi-Fi, like, in airports, you know, like, in, where there's an open connection. And yeah. it's, it is really tricky to use, like, send some really, like, private information over an open Wi-Fi connection. It's, yeah. it's something that in the future might be able to be handled but at the moment it doesn't seem like uh we have the security yeah, in place well, for... unless you provide a secure layer on your website to kind of like encrypt the information uh transmit yeah. it in encrypted form but i mean like services like facebook and Twitter don't do that yeah according to their app it's called a uh, the chase app is called the quick deposit and i guess they have one for the phone iphone and the android uh it says it's uh transmits it securely but you know they i mean i would say that too if i was trying to sell an app 
Yeah. But never mind. Never mind. It's free. So they're not really making any money off this app. Yeah. We kind of get their name out there anyway. On Windows Phone 7 Marketplace, there are actually like quite a few apps right now that are really neat. I mean, they got they got Adobe Reader for it. Yeah. Street PDF, so it's possible they got Facebook, Twitter, they got Shazam for it already. Yeah, Shazam's a nice app. Yeah, Speaking it, it's of apps nice that app. are impressive. It's like <laughs> if you ever think of a reason to buy a smartphone, think about Shazam. Yeah, it's one of the most useful apps because you. I mean, I think everybody's had that moment where they hear that song and they just can't remember who who sings it or if they're trying to find out who sings it so they can later like look it up to uh purchase it or something or they really like it mm-hmm. shazam is like awesome for that <laughs> yeah just, and it's like like so many times it was a situation where I, I like i heard this song that i have like no idea what it is and i asked people what like what's the song it's like i don't know or like i didn't i never heard that shazam actually knows it yeah for those, uh, for anyone listening that's been under a rock for the last few years, uh, Shazam basically it you it listens to the camera or the phone's uh, microphone and uh, listen why you play the song or why the song's being played and will actually take a section of that and match it up against their uh, their database and find out who uh, who the song who sings the song what type of, what song is it you know it gives you links to uh, purchase it it actually could uh, if it, if it doesn't know I think it gives you its best guess. Yeah, and I actually it works pretty well. Yeah, for, I've only had it once where I was trying to find a I think it was a classical song and it kept coming back with a, it was all the song it came back with sounded very similar uh, in its defense, but it wasn't I knew it wasn't the same song. Yeah, and I actually like like when you, whenever like you hear a song on TV, like a commercial or something, yeah, you can use it and works pretty well for that. I wonder if it, because I've never tried it in the sense of a commercial where there's talking going on during like the music and you just hear the background song. I wonder if it would work in that sense, even with the talking. Uh, it works sometimes. It, it fails most like three out of five times for me when it's yeah. this kind of. Generally, thing. it needs a large section of just the song. Yeah, because like yeah, I usually you know, do not get a large section of the song in a commercial. How much is it? How much does it usually take in? Was it like? 10 seconds or something? Uh, I think, yeah, around like 10 or 15 seconds. To actually... It's pretty impressive. 10 seconds of a song and it knows. Yeah, and actually, like, the, it has, like, this... Uh, there was a guy on who wrote a blog post about getting this, this whole, like, audio detection algorithm working in Java. Like, how you compare the bits and everything and the, the frequency of the waves and everything, like, compared to the source music file. And uh, they, they should have a pretty large database of music files yeah to check like every single possible song that's the way youtube does their their thing to check for uh unauthorized content yeah <laughs> your copyright it's it's kind of impressive how they do it because yeah was, uh, how they how they can check they can tell if even if it was a recording of a tv showing the movie they know yeah <laughs> they can check it and they like like the mo- the moment you like uploaded the stuff online, I just said, "Hey, you know what? It, it, it isn't authorized. You cannot use that." Yeah, it's quite impressive. <laughs> yeah, it, indeed. Well, I mean, it's Google behind it. <laughs> yeah, like they they have the facilities and everything to do this kind of stuff because it's like with millions of videos uploaded on YouTube. I mean, yeah. to compare and even to like try like attempt. To do this whole comparison requires like so much horsepower. Well, it gets into the whole thing of like where the technology is going now. How how great uh, not only audio where Shazam works, 
but also video recognition as far as the YouTube goes, and also the new Connect. Uh, yeah. Did you actually like see the demos for it? Oh yeah, I watched. Uh, I've also watched it like uh, uh, back when they were released. They were talking about it when it was uh, released under Project Natal. Uh-huh. Natal, whatever they called it. Yeah. yeah, I was watching the demos back then, uh, and yeah, it's kind of like it. Se- it seems like the Wii, and they were like, controller. Who needs that? Yeah, like <laughs> nobody actually needs to throw the controller on the TV and break the TV. You know. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, there was a dude who uh, who broke his TV on, like the first day he got the Kinect. The people that throw the bat. <laughs> <laughs> no, he just, just jumped too high, I think, and he, like, hit, hit something from the fan and, like, jammed the TV. <laughs> yeah, I think it's awesome. That, 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 but it seems kind of, you know, you need, you need to give yourself some room sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> when I was at PDC, they got this, uh, the Microsoft Museum. And they got Kinect over there. They got, like, three TVs, I think, and three Kinect devices. And it was awesome. Like, I tell you what, like, I really enjoyed playing those games. When you actually, like, kind of, like, get involved with this whole game, you don't just, like, hold a controller in your hand and, like, try to press, like, A, B, X, whatever. And actually, probably, all this, this whole Kinect thing is not going to really work for, like, games like Halo, you know? It's gonna I mean, be some... maybe in the future, but... Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when in the future, when they will get you some, like, ad- I would say, like, what? Like, ad- additional devices for it? Yeah, it or... seems like they... they, they can detect basic like movements of like you yeah know, like which way you're swinging your weapon but to actually detect you pulling the trigger that's kind of a uh, a small motion that yeah and it's be hard to pick up yeah i don't think it's gonna work for now but i am impressed with they've what they've done so you know it might be possible who knows yeah and actually it's gonna work for uh, casual games yeah it's, yeah like it's uh, like the the whole like the, the whole like, Wii thing what is, yeah the fitness games and yeah the, the and skiing games the action games because there was a game that actually, like, uh, you had to, like, you know, this kind of guy on a, I think, like, a, on a floating thing. And you had to jump and run and, like, raise your hands to pick up bonuses and everything. And it actually takes pictures of you when you do this Looking kind of like stuff. like an idiot. <laughs> like, someone said, like, oh, hey, like, another source of awkward pictures to post on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because, Connectfail.com. Like, <laughs> because, like, it actually catches you in the most, like, awkward moments. At least that worked for me. I mean, it's like most... uh, as embarrassing as when you go on a roller coaster and they have those cameras that take pictures of you right as you're going down the, the large uh, fall and yeah. you have to look at it and you're like, oh. And the faces <laughs> and that uh, facial expressions and everything, yeah, it is. But I mean, it, it does it. And it's pretty amazing, like the whole thing, like how it detects motion on it. And it, it really is like what they say in the commercial, like you are the controller, you actually are the controller. Yeah, it's kind of, if you, I mean, have you seen the movie uh, Paycheck? I heard about it. I'm not sure I've yeah. seen it. There's a scene where the, he reverse engineers a monitor that has a holographic uh, uh, monitor, and in the end, uh, when he comes back with the monitor, he's all like, he, he's like, well, I don't think we even needed the monitor, and takes it away, and it's just a holographic image without the monitor. That's kind of this situation where they're all like, we don't need the controller. Yeah, and actually, uh, like, oh, look at PlayStation and Wii. They have those, those like, you know, you you have to hold the thing in your hand. With Xbox, and- you have your hands free and everything. I was reading that they uh, they have future plans to eventually release a version of Connect for the desktop. Well, I mean, I don't really see the use for it on the desktop. Yeah, well, I mean, it, who wouldn't want one, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, desktops are mostly like small screens and everything, you know. Yeah. And it, and I, even if you have those one of those like twenty-two inch screens, it's still. The thing, 
the thing with the desktop is if you release like a connect thing for the desktop is that opens up to a whole new thing because on the xbox it's microsoft approved apps you go towards the desktop and anybody can program something that utilizes a connect then you start opening up to a whole new other realm of yeah. like the the most perverted people thinking of ways to use connect well <laughs> yeah that's what i saw some tweets of people asking like hey like will will we be able to use connect with like xna and uh, actually um I don't think this will happen yeah. uh, because, you know, this whole thing with indie games, like the the whole like approval process for Xbox is completely different from what there is for the phone and everything. The indie games is quite limiting, actually. Like you cannot access the Internet and you cannot, yeah. you cannot do a lot of stuff with your independent games, although they can be sold like for Microsoft points on it. So I don't think Kinect will really make it to like indie games. Yeah, I think they also have these contests occasionally where uh, you uh, could, like, your your indie game can become, could, could get onto the actual uh, store. I think that's happened a couple of times where they have competitions for indie games. There aren't the, that many indie games probably worth really like playing from what I from what I know. I mean, my personal experience. I, I don't know. Maybe someone said something. And that's the general mindset when people look, think of the indie games. They're thinking about the, the uh, the cheap iPhone games that you find on the uh, app the app store for iPhones, for instance. It's like people. Some of them are actually really good, and you sometimes you can find the the one that it's really fun and addicting, and it gets big and everything. But for the most part, a lot of those apps are kind of not even recognized. Yeah, and besides, it's like people think like, why would I pay Microsoft points for something I don't know? You know? Yeah, and it it gets to the saturation uh, level too with uh, when you open it up to like anybody can. I mean, how many freaking Twitter apps do you need? <laughs> when when you see some like a game made like EA Games, you know, and then you see a game made by John Smith, and you kind of think, uh it's all about uh, marketing. <laughs> yeah, um, it's like. I'm not sure John Smith has the same quality as EA Games. So yeah, I mean sometimes you, I mean some people have made some really nice games that they've you know put a lot of work into and people play them and they're actually quite fun and addictive. But in the end, you know the marketplace for 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 apps like that is kind of like saturated right now. And it seems like if you if you want to make money off an app store game or application in general, it needs to be like top of the line quality and everything like that. Uh, you need to really put a lot of thought into it. If you're planning on if you're just still new to development and you want to get your app in the app store, it seems kind of like, you know, it probably is not going to happen. Yeah. and okay. I mean, I don't want to shoot anyone down, but it's like you know, you're up against a lot of people. There's like a ton of games. Unless you have a unique idea or a really good uh, quality to the to the application you're creating, it seems like it's just going to kind of like fall to the side and not really get recognized. By the way, I found this link with a, with a guy connecting. He like TV down, Xbox Kinect claims first victim. A man spikes his ceiling fan into his TV. <laughs> this is like the... It's like so... Was he playing Kinect Sports Volleyball? <laughs> yeah. He tried to spike the ball and ended up like <laughs> spiking something in real life into his monitor. <laughs> that is so... I mean, that is so crazy. I mean, like, it's the first day Kinect came out. I mean, seriously? It is... <laughs> Wow. Really into it, I guess. Yeah, I guess. It's like I've seen videos of people breaking like their TVs with those Wii controllers. I think soon enough we're going to see someone break it with a, those the new PlayStation Move. Yeah, I mean, you you get you start getting physical in your house and everything. You need a little bit of room for you <laughs> and make sure you don't have any objects around that could easily be knocked about. You know, you need like to get into a uh, glass room with a TV yeah. behind like a 
thick glass that is like if you have the money you need to set aside a room specific for your connect like a gym <laughs> this is called the interactive gaming room this is my gym all the gym equipment is done through connect <laughs> treadmill connect <laughs> well i think eventually we'll get there like yeah you, don't, you won't need any actual physical equipment except weights you know you can't really you could run and do cardio stuff through connect but when you're actually using weights you're going to actually need physical weights you can't just pretend to lift weights and yeah get... and actually i think like this whole concept of like achievements and stuff will get people more into this kind of like hey you can earn this achievement if you work out for like half an hour achievements are addicting and, and websites have proven that time and time again i mean look you got stack overflow you got a uh, uh, foursquare four yeah achievements and... people love achievements yeah, exactly. The live, uh, the whole Xbox Live. Yeah, and it's like people get it. Like all those people that kind of like, oh my god, I just need to get an achievement, you know? And you know, yeah, uh, it's like Boy Scouts and getting those badges, you know? It's yeah, like, Look what I got. And there are actually like quite a few websites right now that are kind of like promoting this like healthy lifestyle, like running and everything, and they give yeah. you like badges and... for getting so much distance. Yeah, exactly. So much... And it's people get into that. I mean, oh hey, I I ran like ten miles and I get this badge. Nobody else got it. Yes, and then somebody says like, oh, like, in in the term of like what, two years I ran two thousand miles, and I got I get this cool badge that nobody else has, and badges really get people motivated. Yeah, and it gets you to run for two years. <laughs> yeah, and it's like see, and this one I'm saying like this whole connect thing. I mean, it could be turned into something like really useful, because like people can like you can actually start like like working out. Being physical, yeah. yeah. Instead of just sitting on a couch, the old the old idea of the guys the sitting on a couch, the old white guy, with bag of Cheetos or something. Yeah, it's not gonna work. Playing with a controller. Now, now you actually have these physical games. Again. Yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, you're still gonna have the basic games that you're. Gonna yeah, use a controller yeah. That's true, but I mean, there will be a wide variety of games getting into this, like the whole physical yeah. thing. I could picture them coming out with a gun for Connect that's kind of like wireless that actually detects like the trigger pulling and everything like that, and then you could start doing first-person shooters with a, a physical like yeah. gun, kind of like back in the days of Duck Hunt and everything. Only now you're wireless and you're carrying like this big gun. There is actually a, a gun. I'm trying to find the video for. PC. I know that the the Wii has it. Like he made a gun for PC. Okay, I, I found it, and he put a small screen on it. And actually, you, it's interactive. Like, let me send you the link. And it's pretty cool. I mean, if they will come out with something like that for Connect, it's gonna be awesome. It's kind of cool how it's got like the tweet. Oh, it's like yeah. it's kind of like the sights. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it is pretty cool. Like, what, what you can do the, with that, and if you can start like running and everything, and I mean, this whole concept of interactive gaming rather than sitting yeah. on the couch and just pressing the buttons. I like how he rotates the gun and it rotates the character in the game. So well, it's he, like, he, this whole like he made this thing from cheap stuff. There was yeah. like a mouse, a small screen, and they like I think like it's a water gun or whatever. Yeah, I mean it's obviously he just kind of threw some stuff together. But yeah, but I mean the whole concept of it, it is, it is awesome. That is pretty uh, nice, and uh, you know I love videos like this where you see people that like create these like such genius devices with just household stuff and you're like what like do yourself yeah and that's what like at pdc there's uh, clint rutkus and he makes some some pretty cool stuff with like dot net has this micro framework heard about it no it's like they sell those like arduino devices you know like the, uh, the small the small kits where you kind of like put together oh yeah i know what you're talking about now yeah 
Clint like showed some really cool stuff with this kind of like I, I think I posted a picture on Facebook of me holding a a Tron disc like he called it, and there's there's this thing called Netduino, and it's it's really awesome because like you can program it and it can do all kinds of stuff. It like they can come out like with small touch screens with accelerometers, with GPS sensors, with like with a lot of cool stuff, and like also like do yourself. And people are having fun with that and, like, not going away from .NET. Yeah, the uh, it, the whole thing with, like, uh, stuff like that with creating your own devices and everything is very... some. It's for some people. Other people just rather buy stuff because they're not into that stuff. Me, yeah. personally, I'm like, I like that sort of stuff. I like you, building you, stuff, yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of programmers, I think, are that type. You know, they like... That's why they're programmers. They like building yeah, and it's like I'm just like oh, there is you can buy that, but at the same time you can build it yourself, and, it, and yeah. it's pretty cool, you know. And it's like when you get all those like little LEDs like blinking and everything, working on yeah. your code, it's, yeah, it's an amazing feeling. I tell you what, but actually like after the PDC is that what got me started with this whole thing because like I really like how uh, you can like the small thing, but it works. You know? Yeah, the whole robotics thing too, where your code's making the thing work. Yeah, the, the thing move. Yeah, it's very yeah. amazing. Speaking of uh, robotics, I think Microsoft offers like a robotics studio or something. Uh, I never really messed with it, but I remember uh, I remember seeing it before, and I don't think I ever even opened it or tried it. Yeah, there's Microsoft for Robotic Studio. I'm gonna send you the link for it. The whole thing with robotics and Microsoft, I think. They, I mean, they have a whole robotics division, I assume. I mean, yeah, I think so. can't be a technology company and not have a robotics division. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're like, and there are like a lot of students working on this kind of stuff, like in colleges here in the United States. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, engineering in general. It was surprising to me because like I I saw a lot of projects. Yeah. Uh, here in the United States, working on different like robotic stuff, and it, we actually had a class in our high school robotics where they actually built this kind of like small stuff, small robots and everything. I'm not sure we had a lot of students here because in this part of the United States, probably there are not a lot of technology interested people. But yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a not as big of a market as programming. Well, it is, but see, the thing is, is it like as a programmer, you either do the code, but not many programmers go deeper and like work with the actual uh, hardware. Well, I would probably assume that if you know robotics and stuff, that you can find a job much easier. Like if you actually know how. Well, to it work. seems like a whole other career path to work with the the robotics and uh, hardware stuff as opposed to just being a programmer. Well, it's pretty much combining hardware and software. Yeah, because the, the programming market is pretty saturated. Uh, a lot of people do programming, whereas the robotics and uh, hardware stuff, uh, I mean, I don't really look into it, but I assume there's probably less people. So, like, I started looking at, like, assembler and stuff, like, going, like, really low level on it. Oh, God. <laughs> and I see, like, not a, not a lot of people you see today. No, I mean, kind of stuff. because the power of the desktop has increased. Back in the day, when you wanted to create a game that was, like, fast and worked, uh, uh like smoothly and everything you'd have to go towards like assembly and c plus plus and that sort of stuff and then like 
once they come out with uh, I mean, when people use Basic and they're like, well, can I create a game with Basic? It's like, well, you can, but um, it's not gonna be that great. It's still the same situation, but the power of the PC has grown so much that the higher level languages now have the power and the speed to uh, create these games. That's why C Sharp and XNA uh, exist now. Well, yeah, I mean, it doesn't mean though that you had you don't have to focus on like optimization and everything. I mean, it's not. Oh yeah, I mean, to, uh, people just starting you know basic uh, game development stuff. They're gonna. I mean, it, it would work well if they jump in at the stuff that's easy to understand. And then you could go down deeper, uh, but a lot of people don't go that far. Some people well, just exactly, work with. Yeah. They'll get stuck right there in the surface, and they won't look deeper down and learn like optimization of your game to make it to where it works faster and that's, less that's, resources. Yeah, that's one problem I find about it, like, like seriously, like bad abstraction. Like they say, like, well, we can create a layer on top of that, or it's gonna do it, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's gonna do it, but when when basically the the programmer has like no control over what that part is doing. So supposedly he has to assume it's doing it right, but when it comes to actually like implementing that part on his own, it's gonna be like it's gonna be a problem. Yeah, and yeah, because you don't understand it fully. Yeah, and actually that's what I see today is like a lot of programmers, well, beginner programmers, like just scratch the surface of it. It's like, oh yeah. hey, I know like X and A, and oh I'm a game developer. It's like, um, you probably still have you know when you go down to C plus plus and C stuff, and you actually have to work. Yeah, that's the, the whole thing with, uh, I mean, some people, I mean, it's a good way to start. Of course, you're going to start with the surface and just use the basic stuff, you yeah. know. But until you go deeper and figure out, like, some of the things you use, yeah. what they're actually doing, you're, you can't really just say you're, you know, an expert in that. You know, experts, I mean, it's a, you, you never really, some people debate, it's like, you're never truly an expert because you're constantly learning. But if you understand the stuff you're using in your code, how what it's doing, then I think you can call yourself an, an expert. Yeah. I mean, you can't just say, I know what my program is doing. Yeah, you wrote it. But you, if you understand what the stuff you wrote actually does in the computer. Yeah, like behind the scenes and everything. Yeah. You have like these, these uh, keywords in Visual Studio and stuff. It's like a list and everything. Well, what's that list actually doing when you add an item to it? Oh. I mean, there's more to it than that. That's just like the first example that came off to my head. Yeah, and speaking of programming, F-sharp. The compiler came as open source today. Yeah, I was actually uh, like surprised, you know. <laughs> and I, it's, I, like I, a, it's one of the main languages they're trying to push out. When they dropped the support for Iron Ruby and Iron Python, by they I mean Microsoft. Yeah, they were kind of like falling off the radar. Yeah, but because like basically those languages, well, I didn't see a lot of projects based on Iron Python and Iron Ruby. Seriously. Yeah, they kind of just like fell off to the side and then eventually they're like eh, well, we're going to open them up yeah and F Sharp actually has some momentum yeah it actually is g- growing like the community around yeah. F Sharp is actually uh, getting pretty big and people really like it and I know that uh, you worked with F Sharp yeah when it first came, when I first came out with Visual Studio and F Sharp was part of it I started messing around with it and uh, it's actually really nice I mean there's certain aspects of which you'd use F Sharp and then certain aspects you'd use like C Sharp or Visual Basic but uh when you think about, um, I mean, if if you've watched any of the talks at PDC, like the future C sharp and yeah. like the future future, where they're talking about opening up the compiler, uh huh. In the end, it seems like it doesn't matter what language you use; they're all basically doing the same thing in the end. Well, yeah, basically it goes to that MSIL. F sharp, you can make X and A. You can make uh, ASP.NET MVC apps. Yeah. You can make Windows Phone 7 apps. Well, you can still work with objects in F sharp. I mean, yeah. it's not limiting in that sense. It's just that, I mean, it. 
if you're using F sharp and you're creating objects in F sharp, then what's the point of using F sharp? If you're, if you're at that stage, you might as well go to an object-oriented language where it's going to be easier. And the the guys from Mono actually implemented a uh, F sharp plugin for Mono Develop, so it's yeah. going to Mono, and uh, that kind of shows that F sharp really gets into the whole programming thing because if they make it cross-platform and they invest time in it. They yeah, probably yeah. want to invest time in something they're just experimenting with, especially the guys from Mono that kind of have like all those time restraints and everything. It seems like a, a growing uh, trend with Microsoft. They're opening up a lot of their their, their stuff, you know, with the whole ASP.NET, MVC, well, Iron Ruby and Iron Python, you know, but uh, yeah. F Sharp is now open. Uh, well, I think they're kind of like getting to the point where they want developers to know like what's really behind their technology. Yeah, they're, well, they're they're not hoarding information. Even if someone has the source code for the compiler, I mean, it's not going to hurt them anyway. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, no what's bad really... going to happen because of it, unless it's a super secret compiler work. All compilers basically do the same thing. Yeah, it's just like, you know, it's the way it kind of like puts it in into the bytecode and everything. F-sharp compiler was open source for quite a while. It just was bundled yeah. with a CTP, and now it's just they changed the kind of like the distribution model for it, because it appears that it, now it's like it's gonna be on Codeplex as a part of the standard code draw. Yeah, I can't wait to see some of the uh, the community stuff that they do with F Sharp, like uh, the the contrib stuff. Yeah, like I I would expect that soon enough we're gonna see like some sort of like F Sharp contrib. Yeah, where people like say, hey, well, this will be nice to have. Yeah. In, in the compiler, you know, so it actually really. It's really nice, and I think it's almost like a first step, too, towards their futures of C-sharp and VB, where they mentioned in that talk how they eventually they'd like to open up the compiler to yeah. where we can actually do more with the language itself. Uh, and F-sharp opening it up is kind of like, maybe it's that it's their test person, you know, their, their test uh, language, where they're like, yeah. we're going to open this up and see what happens. See, yeah, exactly. <laughs> see, like, one problem with F-sharp is, like, the whole support for it is kind of, like, scattered across the web. Like, if you want to develop Windows Phone 7 apps in F-sharp, you have to download, like, this template. Yeah, it's not really... I mean, it's still... That I is mean, not, it's just a start. It yeah, came out in 2010. <laughs> well, see, it's like this whole, like, template is not officially, like... It's not officially supported by Microsoft. If you want to work on MVC apps, you have to make the those kind of, like, workarounds. XNA, the same thing. You have to find a workaround to put F-sharp in your game. And see, like, unless it's really, like, supported in Visual Studio, like, you go to open the F-sharp project type and see all those, like, game, WPF app, Windows Mobile app. You have to use uh, other, like, like external stuff right now. And this this is kind of one one thing that kind of gets me kind of thinking, like, about, like, why don't I just put it all together in one block and say, like, F-sharp CDP, and it comes with this whole set of tools. I think right now, if you open up an F-sharp project, you have the option of, like, a library, console, and Silverlight. Yeah, I think so. Probably, is there like a WinForms app? No, I, I don't think there is a default WinForms app. Oh, okay. yeah. Well, and I actually think WinForms is gonna kind of like fading away, but I think the I think Silverlight is the most graphical one you'll get. Yeah, Silverlight and WPF actually, uh, they're kind of focusing on this like markup base. Yeah, I know you like you said you could go to the extensions and uh, download ones that uh, have been created by the community that yeah. actually add in stuff like that. We talked about the this whole like, the App Store concept. Visual Studio has this extension, you know, like the extension, like extension Ex- manager. Yeah. Like, and I think they're coming out with a thing where you can actually like buy extensions right from the extension manager. Like it's gonna be like yeah. a developer marketplace. Yeah, kind of like the NuGet that they have. Yeah, um, and it's well, NuGet is kind of like 
it's a package distribution system. Yeah, the the old new pack renamed to new get. It's kind of like the same thing with packages worse, but it's gonna be extensions to where they're yeah, part of the, and, and the actual thing. Yeah, and it's like kinda of like extensions for Visual Studio and Yeah. It, it is pretty neat. Yeah, I, I agree. It's uh, the, the whole extension manager. I've actually used it quite a bit. Yeah, and I actually have those extensions installed. Like the or new pack or new gets actually an extension you can download through uh, the extension manager. So I have those couple of extensions installed for Visual Studio, and they're really like saving a lot of time. The power commands for Visual Studio, and well, you can actually like when the Solution Explorer, and you can open in common prompt like some file or uh, open containing folder like right from the Solution Explorer. Yeah, and there's productivity power tools. Kind of uh, changes a little bit the editor, and you get better tool tips. You get color tabs, like kind of like stru- more structured and everything. It saves me a lot of time on it. And I said, if they can make it like the whole extension market for Visual Studio really develop, it's it's gonna be a hit. Yeah, a lot of these things uh, on the extension manager saves you a lot of time if you do XNA development. The whole game state management thing that they have set up, where you could download that and you could create an XNA project that already comes, that already has all the code built in for game state, for play menus and options and all that stuff. But they also have one for the Windows Phone, actually, game state, to where you create a project with that stuff already built in. You could use it, or you can rewrite it, or you can actually like just read through it and figure out actually how it's done. So it's great in all three of those senses to where you can learn from it. We got to talk about the app store and everything. Let's talk about the kind of like the average general part of news. Drop.io was, I think it was like acquired by Facebook. Yeah, Facebook. Is a- For those who don't know, Drop.io is a online file sharing service. Privately, as opposed to publicly, like you find in like TinyPic and all that stuff. Yeah. Where your pictures can be seen by anyone. And actually, you can put like all kind of files and then Drop.io. And now on their website, there's an announcement Facebook has bought most of a drop iOS technology and assets. Facebook maybe wants to implement like a kind of like a file sharing mechanism. Yeah, I mean it'd be nice because yeah, if you're you got the chat, you got the the whole like share your life with. You might as well add in the feature to be able to just send a file to someone, share a file. Yeah. To say like this is a way to host your your stuff because right now I think it's all hosted. In, I mean. Facebook has the things for pictures and videos yeah. and that sort of stuff. And, uh, they introduced this thing like the high-res pictures recently. You should try it yet. No, I haven't tried it. Uh, I uploaded some pictures yesterday, and you can like when you upload in high-res, uh, high-resolution for this. No, no. Uh, you can when browsing the picture, you can then uh, there's an option that says download in high resolution. Yeah. So they basically take over the part of the service that was usually associated with Flickr. You know, like the yeah. high-res pictures, it was kind of like a Flickr's part because the what you posted on Facebook was like regular pictures and it minimized them a little bit, optimized, and, you know... Yeah, it's automatically worked about behind the scenes. Yeah, and now you can have like high-res pictures posted here. They're expanding in different areas. And yeah. The initial Facebook is nothing like the Facebook that... If is. anyone actually uses Dropbio and are unaware of this, I think, what does it say, December 15th, after December 15th, they, all the accounts are going to be closed. Yeah, and I believe that there there will be some some sort of Facebook integration. Yeah, Facebook bought it and they're shutting it down. I don't know if they're just limiting competition here. I, mean, I don't think they will actually shut it down, but I would assume that Facebook is working on some sort of a sharing service, like you mentioned. Hey, I have a PowerPoint presentation I want to show you guys. Like, and I yeah. can just drop it there and say, hey, there's the link. Yeah, that would, I mean, it would save a lot more time. And uh, Drop.io, they they have the domain name basically, so now they could have a short URLs for those files. 
the whole Facebook thing is getting into this whole platform rather. Yeah, it's turning into like an online yeah, like, uh, <laughs> desktop almost where all your stuff is stored. I mean, I'm not going to be surprised in a couple of years if we're going to see like this whole. I'm just going to go to Facebook and check my email. Oh. Yeah, well, they, they they made the announcement that Facebook would never implement email, I think they said. Uh, or which one was it? The, the owner of the owner. Zuckerberg? Yeah, I think he like made a thing a while back about why they're not going to have Facebook email or something. Well, I mean, they have the Facebook messages and everything. Loic Lemaire, the guy behind Sysmic, uh, yeah, I mentioned that he doesn't even use like email a lot lately compared to like Facebook. It's all about yeah. Facebook messages. Like I think he mentioned about his kids because like his kids are not using email or using Facebook only. I mean, that's kind of a that's kind of a sign that. I mean, communication taken over. Yeah, instant communication versus email. Because back in the, the email replaced the whole snail mail thing where you physically had to mail something because it's faster. And now instant communication through stuff like Facebook where it pops up or anything and you can just like reply right away right there yeah. without the whole thing. It just seems like it's going to be replacing email. I mean, email will probably still have its place just like how a regular mail still has its place. Yeah. But it does seem like people are moving away from it. Email seems more geared towards like stuff that you know, you got to sign up for this, and you don't really want to use uh, uh, any personal information. You have your, your spam email account set up yeah. like I do. It's like, uh, this is my email account I have set up specifically for stuff like this. <laughs> yeah, and I think, I mean, I usually, like, right now when I need to talk to someone, I don't even know their email. I just go to Facebook yeah. and send a message. And a lot of websites, you know, they require your email for verification. Yeah. I can fix that moving towards, like, you re- requires a Facebook uh, Yeah, link your, fa- link your Facebook account with it. To verify that you're a real person. Yeah. So. And actually, some of the sites do that. And I, by the way, I don't even know your email. Yeah, see? <laughs> the there you go. I need to ask you something. I just send a Facebook message. How exactly. cool is that? Yeah. <laughs> and you get me instantly because like nine times out of ten I'm directly next to a device that's connected to the internet. Yeah. The same Windows phone, the iPhone, the Android, they have like all those notifications when there's like hey, there's a new Facebook message and you can just read it right away and reply to it. Yeah, I mean it works the same thing with email, but uh Yeah. But emails emails kind of like a, a situation where it's stored somewhere and uh you can get it later too, so it's got its own uh its own purposes where you can sync it across but facebook it's all in one place rather than having to have a client yep so i think we covered a lot of tech subjects like general tech and i think it's time to get to some dreaming code topics probably the biggest topic that we have right now we have the secret santa's 2010 going on or the secret satan as it says (laughs) well uh i think sloth kind of made a typo there (laughs) super sloth is managing it this whole event started in like 2005, and the whole idea behind it is the regulars from Dreaming Code are able to sign up, and eventually Slot will assign you a person that you will have to buy a gift for that person. And yeah. at the same time, that someone else will buy a gift for you. So basically, there's going to be like this whole balance, like someone buys a gift for someone else, and every person yeah. is going to buy a gift for someone out of those registered. The general rules are basically outlined in a in a thread that I'm going to link in the show notes. But the basic set, like I'm going to just say, is if you're not going to get a gift for the person, you you just plan on getting one, just don't sign up because it's a kind of like yeah, mutual. It ruins thing. the whole thing. Yeah, it's kind of like a mutual thing. The whole uh, idea. They do this at uh at companies too, and uh, whether where you yeah. buy 
presents for a coworkers. They don't know who they who's buying a gift exactly. for them. Exactly. Yeah, and it's just just a fun thing, you know. It's like because yeah. we're we're a community. And was, yeah, I don't think it's a typo because he says it several times in his post, spelled exactly the same way. Well, maybe he just likes the typo. <laughs> it was I, a good typo. <laughs> yeah. There's no spending limits. If you want to buy someone a 200000 gift, go ahead and do it. I don't know what you're going to buy somebody for $200,000. Yeah. <laughs> don't expect the same in return. Bought you an island. Yeah. It's like, oh, hey, remember that island by Hawaii? It's yours now. <laughs> remember that island you always wanted? Yeah. <laughs> but it's yeah. on your wish list, your Amazon wish Wish list unrealistic but whatever yeah there's no spending limit that we don't put i think he mentioned that he'd like there to be a limit of about 10 to 15 well, well there's there's a minimum limit like obviously you probably don't want to buy someone else a, like a candy a piece of candy yeah, <laughs> yeah. the shipping is going to cost more than <laughs> the, the candy itself yeah spend, spend a couple bucks to ship a piece of candy yeah <laughs> you should not complain about the person you draw so basically if someone is assigned to you like hey you're gonna get the gift for this person it's <laughs> you don't get along yeah gifts should be age appropriate i'm probably not going to talk about a lot of this but it's just use common sense when buying gifts it's gifts that you're not going to be embarrassed opening in front of your parents yeah some people will take this as a as a way to uh do practical jokes on people to yeah, buy them a gift not, and they get it and it's yeah. like what well, are you serious it's not the case. <laughs> that's why they, they they were probably limiting it towards members that you know are regular members yeah they, and they're not just reg- new yeah only regular members can participate so if you just sign up for dreaming code you cannot participate because basically we do not we don't know someone can sign up and then never send anything back is this so. based on a date uh or this based on like a post count or something uh, like that? Uh, it's based on a combination of that, like both the date and the post count. To see, oh, I I think you know they probably know who's regular on the site. Yeah, well, exactly. I can look at your account and see like, hey, you've been you've been here for a while. You posted like normal topics, you, some normal posts. There, you had no we had no problems with you whatsoever. Yeah. So there, I mean, yeah, you can get in because like we know you're you you're a member of the community, and compared to someone who signed up just like yesterday, you know, and has like 20 posts, then you know, probably not. Yeah. Uh, or someone who's a known troublemaker yeah. on the site or something like exactly. that. So there's international shipping. I'm not sure if we have any internationals this year, but you must say if you're in or not till December 1st. So I'm not sure if we will have any internationals this year, but we could. So international shipping is okay. Sloth said that he's gonna try to like couple people from the same continent, so the shipping is gonna cost lower than it would like for international. Because my case last year, <laughs> my secret Santa had to ship it like overseas, and it probably cost the the whole shipping probably costed more than the gift. <laughs> I really liked the gift, I really did. I'm just thinking that the shipping costs a lot of money. I mean, it's probably going to cause a lot of problems with that so unless you want to pay for it that's fine soft is going to try to put people together in closed locations you are not supposed to tell the person who you buying the gift for like hey i'm buying it for you no that's why it's called secret yeah exactly. secret santa so in some details like you what you have to do is you have to email josh or super sloth at super sloth at dreamingcode.net with a subject the title secret satan or santa i assume yeah would work. And uh, include your Dreaming Code username, your full real name, and your full mailing address. Otherwise, how are we going to know where to ship? So December 1st is the deadline when people have to say, like, hey, I'm in. I'm in this whole thing. After that, everything is going to be pointed. Like, who's, people are going to be lined up of who they're going to get to buy gifts for. So yeah. there's not going to be any room. You're not going to be able to join afterwards. Yeah, and whoever's doing it is doing it at uh, their own risk. I mean, we have no guarantees that 
you will get a gift back. It's just a for fun thing, you know? Yeah, common sense, this whole thing, it's, we're based, a community-based event, so we expect everyone to be honest, but we cannot guarantee that. Yeah, don't They're, focus on what you're going to get because yeah, chances are you might get, I mean, if you get somebody something that's like really nice and then you get something like you, you're like, eh. Yeah, yeah. You don't, 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 don't think of it that way. Yeah, exactly. This whole thing is about giving gifts to people. Yeah, and actually, like if you if you have a set of gifts you want to get, uh, you can post a Amazon wish list. You can, any type of wish list. Yeah, really. basically, yeah, anytime. Well, try <laughs> picking something like from Amazon, Walmart, ThinkGeek. Yeah, there's. I think doesn't Google have a thing where you can include links like a wish list from other sites like uh, from around the net? I'm not sure. I'm not. I never use Google for it. This guy. I use Amazon. Yeah, uh, I set an Amazon wish list. But that's all like mostly Amazon stuff that I, it's on my list. <laughs> yeah, and mostly like the last year people did with uh, Amazon and ThinkGeek. It was the two basic providers that kind of like got this whole thing right. Where all the good stuff is. Uh, as I said, there's no spending limit, so you, if you want to, you can include a ten thousand dollar item in the wish list, but nobody guarantees you're gonna get it. Yeah, don't expect people to buy that. Yeah. <laughs> so if you, if you get it, then crats. But yeah, but I mean, it's it's gonna be like it, common sense tells me that you're just gonna put some sort of like averagely priced items in the wish list, just something you use you would like. Are they gonna uh like at the end, maybe once it's over, post like a list of who bought who what, or is it? From what I know, no. Well, people will post pictures of what they got. But there will be no no official list like this one got this, this one got that. I mean, like you know, like say like uh, the, the no like a list of like who bought for who. Oh well, Super Sloth has a private list for himself. Oh, well, it's always private. Yeah, and it, uh, I mean he has that list, but it's not gonna be public. That's what but, I was saying. Because at the end of it all, then it's okay to say who wh- who you bought well, for. I mean, yeah. Thing. Because once it's over, you just don't want to do it. Before the whole thing, because yeah, that kind of ruins it. Exactly. Super Sloth will publish the list of people in the wish people who are in and the wish list in the main topic post in the main post. So there there will be a list. So if you get a person, they will get the wish list for the person, and the, you'll see the wish list on the website anyway. Yeah, I think they also he also mentioned something about keeping it in your signature, your profile, whatever, to well, make yeah, to make it easier to find for them. Kind of like yeah. I, I didn't put it in the signature. I, I'm just going to make it huge letters, and I'm going to use the blink, uh, the, the flash, uh, the flashy my, text. You know, I'm going to use that tag. The MySpace-ish <laughs> style for a signature? Yeah. Buy me this. You buy. <laughs> this is probably not going to work, but yeah. H1 header tag blinking. <laughs> no. Please. I will have nightmares. <laughs> just looking at the signature. We have a couple of people in from what I see. Uh, right now in a topic actually is a nice thing because like i don't i don't know any programming communities that have this kind of thing running so it's kind of like showing that we we are you know like a friendly community and people here know each other i think that's why people like the the dreaming code community it's very uh it's not just about the uh the information it's about the people involved it's about actually like the people in this like the big dreaming code family you know it's great to come here and get information but if you actually take the time to get involved and you know in, with the actual community, it's actually you know a really great uh, community, and that's what I love about the site. This is about the secret Santas. If you have any questions, go ahead and post in the topic that is going to be listed in the show notes. Don't go PMing or emailing people like about the, this whole thing because it's not gonna. We had a case 
I think it was last year where someone like just emailed Sloth or something or PM'd him all the time about this event and it's, don't just post it in a topic and it'll get a reply and now we get to the part we have a bunch of questions uh, well not about a bunch but <laughs> well, uh, let's say four for now it's it's a new thing yeah it's just a new thing we're gonna starting with like people asking questions so sergio tapia asks a question that says do you think more senior members of the forum should be allowed to post tutorials snippets freely without moderator approval users who have been here for a long time and have a good standing with the community should be allowed to easily submit tutorials in my opinion thoughts this is all you i don't deal with snippets though (laughs) well i mean i would say that it is a reasonable request like probably people who submit a lot of tutorials yeah it's a good idea i like it but at the same time, we kind of have to make sure that the content that goes through Dreaming Code is unique and that it works. Yeah, you don't want buggy code yeah, exactly. clogging up the whole snippet thing. Exactly. So we are not only concerned about you know like getting snippets to work and everything, but also we try to eliminate like duplicate content. This is not our problem. So if someone submits duplicate content and doesn't go through the approval process and just submits it, we it's difficult have. sometimes because, like, I have a snippet that I'll search for to see if it's already been submitted. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah. Some, sometimes I'm still kind of effy if it already exists because the, the search thing is uh, ter- yeah. sometimes turns back to a lot of different results that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, so this is why we kind of delegate this thing to the team so we check for this. Eventually, later on, it might be a good idea, but, I mean, define user in good standing. Good standing, like by number of posts. By number, I think of- he means by uh by the content they've been submitting. Like if they submit several snippets and they're all like good quality snippets, they haven't been uh rejected. I mean maybe one or two rejected because maybe it was a typo or something. But well, see exactly, we there's a bunch rejected or something like that. There's we probably don't have a lot of members here who just who went through the process and uh, never got anything like rejected. Yeah, I've gotten one rejected because uh it actually <laughs> didn't do what I thought it did. I had to rewrite it. This is why we have kind of like have to ensure the quality of the content, and uh, we have to ensure that it's unique. So, in theory, it's gonna work, but not really. I don't think we're gonna see this thing implemented soon. I don't know how the whole approval process works on your end. I mean, I just see it from well, my end where I submit it and then I wait. The basic <laughs> approval process is that when which you brings submit- up the whole pending thing that was mentioned, uh, some way to know if you know it's been looked at or not. Yeah, that that thing is gonna be in the process of getting there. But the whole approval process is quite simple because like when you submit a tutorial or a snippet, it goes in the mod queue, and we as moderators and administrators can see like where you guys click on my profile. Uh, we see the notifications of how many pending snippets and tutorials there are in the queue. So when we go through them, we can approve and disapprove, like disapprove with comment and all this kind of stuff. So it's basic, it's really basic. I mean, there's it's no... based on how many people have knowledge in that specific language yeah. and stuff too, probably. So there there were a lot of questions about people like, hey, well, I submitted this snippet in boo.net, you know, <laughs> it's it takes like what a month to approve it. So maybe like one person that knows. And knows that language. Yeah, and I mean, I you're waiting for them. <laughs> yeah, like I cannot go through the Python or Perl snippets because I have no expertise whatsoever in these languages for now. Yeah, you think that because not many people have uh, knowledge that language that it, it might be a smaller queue because there's not much to go through for that particular language. But at the same time, there's probably not many people who are actually knowledgeable of that language. Exactly, and looking as, at them. Yeah, and we cannot just you know just like assume that it works. 
we we have to get it through the approval process and make sure the people who are going to see it later on in public are going to actually use it. You guys aren't trained in every language possible. Uh, <laughs> this should be a standard uh, Dream and Code uh, moderator class that teaches you everything. Well, actually, we have uh, the whole team is kind of, I would say, we have moderators in, in different uh, areas of expertise. So yeah. to, to name a few, I can try kind of like just going through the what I know. Me, a.k.a. Core, I am a .NET guy. Like all .NET related, VB.NET, C Sharp, Windows Phone 7, ASP.NET, I can go through that. So that if there's some snippets in the queue or tutorials, I I usually go through that. Jayman, another administrator here, he is a professional ASP.NET developer, but he also like works in .NET kind of like things. So he goes through the .NET queue as well. Kaihawk is the webmaster of this community, and it usually goes through the web design tutorial. The guy with the whip. <laughs> no, I mean, it's this kind of stereotype, like, we live in a dungeon, and <laughs> no, we don't. Yeah, but he goes through the PHP and kind of, like, web things. And our moderators, we have 6 of 11. He's kind of, like, specialized in XNA, but usually a lot of .NET stuff. We have Nick Dmax, who goes through C and C++. No2Pencil is kind of going through a lot of different stuff, including some of the most like rare tutorials and snippets and everything. Like F-sharp and... No, no I mean, I'm not sure F-sharp, but I mean like Perl and White stuff. space. Or like Bash. <laughs> <laughs> we have Mac OS X. Lolcats. No, we didn't actually get any of those. Yet. Ah, oh, God, I got to learn Lowcast just so I can submit a tutorial and like I am see not, how long it takes. I'm not going to go through the approval process for that. You'll read my Lowcast source code, damn it. You'll read it and you will approve it. I don't know if I'm going to even read it. But That'd I, be awesome to actually moderate because you'd just be laughing the whole time you're reading the code. I can has code. <laughs> That's horrible. That is horrible. We have Mac OS X Nerd 101 who goes through Java. Locke kind of goes through Java. Kia goes to C++ stuff and Java. And recently he started learning C Sharp, so maybe he'll go through C Sharp as well. Jack of all trades goes through Java and so on. I imagine he'd be everything. Jack of all trades. (laughs) He goes through like Java, C, C++ kind of stuff. Sometimes we go through, like, we have a bunch of all reigns, maybe submits functional stuff you know yeah it's a lot of a lot of people it seems for like the basic like the major things but yeah, like it's, as i could already see there's not too many people for the smaller stuff that yeah, not many exactly. people deal with. and i mean we kind of try to check this kind of stuff with other people that are that are experts in this kind of thing so for example if reigns who's the like the functional guy here submits a functional snippet we kind of like try to check it but you mean when you know this guy's the only one who works with functional he has the uh, the expertise with it we kind of can sometimes assume that it works, you know? That, that that guy, you know, that's in the group, they're all like, oh, it's functional code. Yeah. <laughs> like, we know who to give that to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, because, like, I, I've never worked with functional stuff, so don't ask me <laughs> for now. I've, all, I've only touched the, the top, and, my I'm you know, it's kind of like a whole thing where it's all like, uh, you have to be ready in order to learn it. <laughs> yeah. Talking about functional stuff, we have the second question for also from Sergio Tapia. He says, I'm mainly a C-sharp programmer. My coworker and myself are starting to learn F-sharp for fun, but we wonder if there is use for this language in the job market. Putting aside a programming craft for a minute, is learning F-sharp a wise investment with regards to finding a job for it? My answer to this would be that 
you should never tie a language to a job. Yeah. That's the first thing. So it, you either know programming or you don't. I mean, it doesn't yeah, matter what language you use. The way, the way I look at it, and I think it pertains to what, what I've – I forgot. I don't even so, – Sopper Wharf hypothesis or something like that. Mm-hmm. Where it's basically saying that the uh, languages that are different than your own language are always good to learn because it opens up your mind to different ways of thinking. Exactly. And even even spoken languages, like if you know English and you're learning Japan, it takes a whole different way of thinking in order to learn that language. True. And it, it's, it's always a good idea to learn another language. You you probably should focus, like be an expert in like one language, but knowing yeah. knowing the fundamentals and the usage of other languages is not going to hurt you. Yeah, I do mostly – I do C-sharp now. I mean I was Ruby for a while, but C-sharp and ASP.net is what I've been focusing on lately. Mm-hmm. And I really love it, but I also worked with F-sharp a bit and taught myself a little bit of that and looked it up. And it actually did open my eyes to a lot of things, it, it, you know, programming-wise. And uh, I realized uh, the uses of F-sharp itself too, which F-sharp is really great when it comes to like math and uh, that sort of stuff like uh, numbers and finances and that sort of thing. That's where it really comes through. But in the end, it's about tools and picking the right one for what you're doing. Yeah, and as I said, you should never say like, hey, there's a big demand for Java, so I'm going to learn Java. If you're comfortable with like .NET, for example, you just just go ahead and work with C Sharp. And if you have some free time, learn F Sharp, learn VB.NET, learn Iron Python. It's all about experience here. Yeah, and yeah, exactly what you said. Don't tie the language to the job itself. Learn it. Be- he says he's learning it for fun, but uh, you'll be you'll be surprised at what you actually do learn from it. That I mean, it might not just it may carry over to your other languages. The third question here is. C-sharp 5 is a clear indictment that the language is moving towards the functional aspect of programming. In the future, will knowing C-sharp and F-sharp be a huge leverage tool? Well, I mean, I don't work in Microsoft, so I cannot really, like, assume where the language is going to go. I wouldn't say they're moving towards a functional aspect of programming. Yeah, I, I know that I wouldn't with say F-sharp that. itself, it's the functional thing, and yeah. even then, you can still work with objects. Yeah, C-sharp is kind of its own thing, you know. But like like we've talked before, how they're kind of like all, C sharp and VB are basically the different syntaxes, but they both accomplish the same thing because they're both compiling into the same thing. Yeah, and they based it on the same framework. Yeah, so. F sharp. I don't see it gets compiled to the same thing, but like like VB and C sharp, it's completely different. But it's completely different in the aspect that it's functional. It's not object oriented. Although you could, like I said before, it's not really limited, but. It's, so it's a little different in that sense. It's kind of like you got C sharp and VB over here, which are objects, and they compile here, and you got F sharp over here, still compiling to that. Saying that it's gonna be like a huge leverage tool. Well, I mean, you can say that about any language. I mean, yeah. knowing knowing C in the future is gonna help you. Knowing Java. C plus is a great way to get into the de- uh, deeper parts too. Yes. It's, it requires you to work a lot more with the. Uh, yeah. With garbage collection and everything, and memory yeah, management. Yeah, C sharp. You don't have to delete anything, and people coming into programming work with C sharp. Oh, with see. C plus plus, you have to actually. It's like, oh, I have to actually make sure to like, do uh, these things I'm instantiating. To dispose to the objects and everything. I, I've seen horrible code written in C sharp. I mean, like even like you want to use like streams and everything. When you use like stream reader and you don't dispose it and you don't yeah, close uh, it. Using statement. You don't use the using. Yeah, statement. exactly. It's like, why would you even do that? It's somebody posted source code on the internet of that, and it's on Google, and that's what people see. 
the answer to this, like to the third question, would be knowing any language on a high level is going to be a huge leverage tool. I mean, some jobs are focused on what language they're looking for but, in a programmer, but I mean, the programmers usually are have like the flexible mind. So if you learn one language, it's going to be really easy for you to learn something else. Yeah, just start to. I picked up C sharp pretty quickly, and exactly. I never touched it. And it's I think I've been messing with it for. Yeah, because the basic programming principles remain the same, no yeah. matter what language you use. Except if you go functional. Yeah. <laughs> well, even functional, I mean, it's kind of like the whole paradigm is different, but the, the whole idea behind it, the process is the same. I was thinking that uh, I was reading earlier about functional languages, how object-oriented people look at things as objects, and that the functions are kind of like these work people that do, they go do the stuff, and you get it back, whereas functional is all about the functions. It's getting deeper into them. The whole functional thing is like a new field to .NET because .NET never was a functional, should I say, platform, functional platform. This F# is kind of like the breaking the whole like chain of object-oriented approach in .NET. Uh, F# is a great language to learn. I mean, if you're if you're learning it and it is fun. Um, it, I would encourage anybody to check it out because it it comes with Visual Studio. So if you already work with C Sharp and VB, it's right there. And it does it does create a uh, a shift in your head that you know you realize things and you not only that but you're you're uh, you're working with things in a different way. You're thinking in a different way, and that's what's what, what's healthy about it. The last question for today is from Creative Coding. It says, "What are some important skills to get hired as a programmer?" Aside from the ones needed for the job. <laughs> well, I guess the, the ones needed for the job are the most important, first of all. Yeah, the language. Languages, the ability to work in a team, the ability to communicate what you mean. Yeah, communication. Because like it's all about communication. I mean, when you, you probably will not work on... Like when you, you're hired as a programmer, you're probably not going to work alone in a single room closed all day. You're going to talk to people. You're going to talk to people where you're going to get specifications. You're going to get a lot of assignments. You're going to talk to the management about what needs implemented, what needs removed, what needs added. So one of the most important skills I think you can have as a, getting hired as a programmer is well, learning skills in general. You need to be able to learn because programming is a, is a career of learning. And I would say you have to develop the intuition. When sometimes searching for stuff online doesn't really help, and you're going to try to figure out, well, where could yeah. this be? You know, You're confronted There's, with a problem that hasn't been address before yeah and sometimes you have to dig deeper into the code and work with a undocumented part of problem the solving skills right now i'm working on a windows phone 7 app uh, trying to work with reactive extensions for it there's like no documentation for yeah, it yeah it's a new device especially for the reactive extensions because it probably is not gonna it's not used as much yet so there's a said like msdn is pretty much empty on it and it's I just kind of test it on my own. Like, let me try this. Let me try that. Oh, this works. And this doesn't. Yeah. So it, it's And then so... you write that post online that everybody else sees in Google. Yeah. <laughs> and that is considered documentation. Communication, ability to learn, ability to kind of dig deeper in the undocumented parts of code, being creative, not just finding out-of-the-box solutions, you know, just try to find some interesting solutions to stuff because, and sometimes you got to have to accomplish a task the easiest way possible. Always be flexible because you're going to be always ready for change. And uh, the ability to work well under pressure. Yes, yes. <laughs> With approaching deadlines and everything, trust yeah. me, it's going to be a lot of pressure. If you're not one to, uh, if you're one to get like kind of stressed out a lot, programming is a very stressful job when you're in a, a 
launching a huge thing and you're like days away and you're not even you got so many bugs still yeah <laughs> it's one thing when you work alone at home and say your oh, personal so stuff on my project you know it's like oh you know i'm just too lazy today and i don't really want to work. yeah i don't feel like working on my game today yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you are hard as a programmer it's like nobody even cares you I have don't to. care if you don't feel like working on your game <laughs> yeah I mean, you have to do it and you have like 20 bugs pending and you have to fix them today that's why people. That's why when you talk to the programmers, is a lot of times they're very busy and uh, they don't have time to work on their. They'll, they'll have all these personal projects that they'll never finish. It's gonna be they're too busy with work. <laughs> Programming is a dynamic job, so flexibility and ability to learn. Yeah, problem solving. I guess we're gonna wrap this up today because we have, I think, like two hours of discussions. <laughs> uh, you're probably. Is this gonna be a two-hour thing for the open-hour things, or is it gonna get cut? <laughs> uh, well, I think it's gonna be like actually like for an open-hour, it's gonna be for for two-hour thing. Every ten episodes, we're gonna have Just an open-hour. It'd be nice, yeah. uh, two hours. You know, that that gives you plenty of time until your next one. You know, because it's gonna take people a while to listen to two hours worth. Because they're not gonna listen to it all at once. Probably they're gonna break it up. Because it takes me what thirty minutes to get to work, and that's uh two days worth. Some people will listen to it in the background. You know, it's just we we talk about a lot of cool stuff. I think I hope so. <laughs> I think I was like, has this have we really been talking about cool stuff, or have we just been? Yeah, just make the thread when you post this. Uh, say, are we cool yet? <laughs> so this has been Dreamcut Open Hour, and uh, my co-host Andre Burdett is gonna co-host every open hour from now. On. Yeah, Skaggles on the forum. Skaggles on the forums. Every link we discussed today, every website is gonna be in the show notes. So if you have trouble finding something, just take a look there, and it's gonna be there. And uh, if you have any questions. Don't hesitate to PM me, or if you have any questions with Skaggles or anything. Hesitate a little. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't hesitate to write a PM to him. And uh, <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it doesn't even have to be a complete sentence. Just hit send. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if you have any complaints, ideas, suggestions, go ahead and uh, email them at podcast at dreamingcode.net. And we'll take a look at them as soon as possible. And any feedback is appreciated. This is it for today's episode. Thank you very much for listening.